Listening to Queerified, and this is Gigi Gorgeous. And I am her Filipina twin sister, Mimi. What's up, sis? Nothing much, just recording a pod. Oh my god, same. On Queerified, you'll hear from the makers and shakers of the LGBTQIA community. And also some ride or dies who we like to call allies. Get ready to dip into this Olympic champion's inner thoughts and strongest beliefs. He's not scared to throw himself off of a 10-meter platform, move across the world for his husband, or face us here on Queerified. A guy with an eight-pack who also knits. A working dad raising his son in a world that he himself has changed. And the limits are endless, baby. But before we get started, please don't forget to call into the Queerified hotline at 1-844-QUERIES. That's Q-U-E-E-R-Y-S. Call and ask us anything. Nothing is off limits, and maybe we'll answer your question right here on the pod. We know you already have a question, so just call in. And while you're at it, please leave us five stars and a nice review, and only a nice review. London, Beijing, Tokyo, and now to your AirPods. Up next on the platform, quiet everyone, Tom Daly. Team GB, Team GB. Okay, welcome back. If you are listening, we are here with Tom Daly. Hi, Tom. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I am so excited to talk with you today. We had a little trouble scheduling this, but we are here and we are queer. Well, yeah, we've been making, we've been, we've been trying to do this for for like months, I swear. But we've we've got we got we got it in the books. Yes, yeah, and I saw you it. randomly at Fashion Week, and we were in this like random dark dark club, and we were we were matching. We were matching. We were, matching. <laughs> we were both wearing hounds too. Uh huh. Yeah. We yeah. was like, oh hey, so. need to get you on the pod still. <laughs> do you remember what we were doing? We were trying to find drag, and it was Wigstock, and all the drag queens were in Brooklyn. And we could not find a single drag queen in Manhattan. Oh, we did. We, tra- we went to about three different places trying to find it. And we had just been at a drag show and we left the drag show to try and find more drag. And then we were like, where are we going? And we go, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> they were all in Brooklyn and we were not about to do that at like 1 a.m. No. Thank you for coming on to Queerified. We are all in three different time zones. Wow, we love this. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's freezing cold here. Like, I mean, well, I mean, I'm in Calgary, so it's like, yeah, it's just cold. <laughs> what are some things you like about Calgary? What made you move there? I thought you'd honestly be coming, tuning in from London. So essentially, my husband's doing a, filming a TV show here, which he's producing, directing, writing, all of that. That he's been here since July first. So he watched all the Olympics up from here, and then I've been going. Like, once the Olympics are finished, I came to. Calgary and then we went back to London for a month and then we went back out again so I've been going back and forth but basically I'm here till December and then I'm back home she's a world traveler I going on here there and everywhere yeah, yeah. well we speaking of the Olympics you just won gold in Tokyo for anybody that doesn't know yes. anybody that's been living under a rock this is humongous <laughs> huge news how does it feel to finally reach that pinnacle of your life it must feel so insane I mean, it's one of those things I've, you know, I've 
have dreamt of being an Olympian and then dreamt of becoming an Olympic champion for so many years now. And to have finally done it after 20 years of training was just such a, I don't know, it felt like this is like magical moment that finally came true after just, you know, and it's like one of those things when you stand on the podium, you get that medal put around your neck. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know how they, in films, you see all the flashbacks of all yes, of like the hard times, yes. you crying and you like on the floor crying. And then like, <laughs> on the, you know, it's all of these, it like was flashing through my head, oh. but it was, um, yeah, it was a really special moment. Did you cry? Yeah, oh my gosh. I was blubber. I was a blubbering mess. Oh. Like, and I'm not a crier either, but I was literally like blubbering. But yeah. Well, I've heard before, I don't know where I heard, I think maybe on Instagram or something, you calling yourself the grandfather of diving. I'm 27, but yeah, I, it's, it's, I'm the oldest on the team. So it's a, it's a thing. I'm like the granddad and I've been around for so long as well. So yeah. I mean, yeah. I, when you won, they did this like montage flashback and I was like, Oh my God, literally like you look like a, a fetus on the mm-hmm. 10 meter platform <laughs> yeah. in the, in some of the clips they <laughs> yeah. showed, I was gagging. And yeah. this is actually something that I'm not sure um, anybody listening out there will know. We actually competed against each other way back in the day. Like when we were like maybe 15 or something. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it might've been in like 2000 and oh, maybe 2008, nine. I don't know. Well, it was probably one camo invitational or you, something. Pam am. Yes. I think it was too. Were we doing yes. synchro? I, I, I can't even remember. Like, I swear I was, I, I feel like it was in Canada somewhere. I feel like it was in the um, camo pool in Montreal. Oh, maybe that iconic pool. Yeah, I really don't remember either. But I remember when I saw you <laughs> on TV, my friends and my family were like, didn't you compete against him when you were like really young? Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, I used to do a competitive diving. And I, I think that is just so insane that you've really, really like carried out what every person around me in my old life was striving for to go to the Olympics to win and really just like live such this like fabulous out queer positive life. Like a lot of people back then, we, we never really talked about it, but a lot of guys within the diving community were closeted and it was something that no, nobody really talked about. Right. And like you just being out married child, it's just so inspiring. And like, there's definitely a lot of little boys out there who are making their first big splash that are kind of like huge Tom Daly fans, I'm sure. It's like one of those things though, that, you know, although there are, you know, when we were growing up, there weren't any LGBT people in the highest ends of sport. It was always people like after they were, after they retired or towards the end of their career. And, you know, I think, you know, visibility is extremely important because if you don't see yourself in sport, why would you even consider getting into it and feel like you would fit in? So, you know, now well, the last Olympics, there were more out LGBT athletes than any of the previous Olympics combined. So which was a real big step forward. But there are still 10 countries that participated where it's punishable by death uh, to be L- to be LGBT. Yeah. So, which is to me is extremely shocking, which is why is. my next year, this next, over the next, build into the next Olympics, I want the IOC and the Commonwealth Games Federation and, and even FIFA to not allow any major sporting events to be held in a country that has any laws, anti-LGBT, anti-women, anti-people of color. Like there should not be any, you know, if you can't be safe as an athlete going there or as anyone that can go there and spectate, they shouldn't have the privilege of hosting. Like Qatar next year for the FIFA World Cup. It's just ridiculous like uh, for lg like no wonder there's no out lgbt footballers um the you know world stage i know there's recently an australian uh, josh cavello who came out um which is a big step forward in the world of soccer and football but it's yeah i mean it's 
I think if you don't feel like you're ever going to be safe in a sport, then, uh, you know, why would you feel like you're going to be accepted there? It's so weird because that you bring up a really good point. Um, and it happens in a lot of sports, like you said. I remember for like five years, the women's tennis um, final, like the big final, final competition was in Qatar, in Doha, Qatar. And they literally like, women can't even drive there. And then they bring all these like the highest paid women athletes in the world to compete there. I don't know. Why, why do you think they do that? The, the organizing committees follow the money. They don't mm -hmm. care about the people. Uh, essentially, you know, essentially that's what it's down to. You know, they, it costs a lot of money to host an event. So you have to be able to do it in a country that, and the, the, that's where the issue lies. It's like, you don't want to, it, it, there's certain countries that you want to be able to allow com competitions to be in because it brings a massive influx of income and things like that. But at the same time, there is also that just the general safety things for people, because, you know, going to Qatar, so, you know, there's, you know, I could do jail time there just for being me. And I don't, I don't think it's fair to ask LGBT athletes to go to those countries. Um, and also to, as an LGBT athlete, a lot of people say, well, why don't you boycott? But at the same time, it's important for visibility and it's my, it's my job. Like, why should I be punished for, you know, the, like they should actually make the changes from their end. They should not put LGBT people in the position where they have to choose between their love of sport and, you know, just being safe. Right. Yeah. And with that being said, in Tokyo, I mean, now you are so well known and you really have made the biggest splash, like literally, um, as an out queer proud person. Was there ever a point in your Olympic career, all the times that you've been, that you did feel unsafe? And can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, like in the build up to, you know, in for me, and the build up to when I actually came out on YouTube was a, a very much a battle within myself. Like I was when, when I was younger, you know, I'm not with the same management now, but my management at the time were very much telling me, don't come out. You lose all your sponsorship. You lose oh, all your fan so base. Disgusting. And it was just, I know. So it was like a really big, difficult thing for me to be like, you know what? I don't care about that. I just want to be me. And that's the most important thing. And then I was terrified because then, you know, it was in 2013 that I came out. And then in 2014, there was a competition in Russia. And I was like, oh my God, do I go to Russia? Because it was just at the time of the Sochi Olympics. And then there was all of this, you know, all of these um, anti-gay and anti-LGBT like hate crimes happening. And I was just like going there as a gay man. I was thinking, am I going to be safe? So I ended up not going to that competition. And I actually kind of kicked myself. I kind of kicked myself a little bit because the following year, I was kind of like, you know what, like, imagine if there's any little young um, queer kids growing up in that country. Obviously, there are in Russia and they will never feel like they are going to fit in and never feel like they have a place. So the next year I went back and I competed and I wore a little rainbow badge when I stood on the podium because, you know, just to, for, for visibility, I think it's a little young. It's so censored in the world, of, you know, in Russia, like they, you know, in my press conference after my competition, I started talking about LGBT being a gay man and an Olympic champion. And, you know, they censored it all in Russia and like the stuff that did get out, they were really um, critical about. And it's, I don't know, it's just one of those, uh, one of those things. I think it's important to just try and spread the spread love, not hate. You know what I mean? Did it feel safe when you were there? You know, as, as a, as an athlete, when you're there, like you're in the hotel with the athletes and then you go on the bus with the athletes and then you're at the pool with the athlete. You don't, you don't get to experience the real world that of 
Russia. I wasn't going out and about in Russia. I wasn't, you know, there with my husband. I wasn't there like, you know, walking around holding hands. Like I wasn't, that wasn't what I was there to do. And that wasn't what I was there. I was just there to compete, hotel, pool, and you don't really see anything else. So I don't really ever get the true reflection of the place, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm no stranger to that feeling as well, going somewhere and feeling really scared and unsure. I was actually de detained in Dubai for being trans. And it was one of those things where I was scared to go there as well. I knew that... Um, I could be given a hard time, you know? I wasn't expecting to g be given that hard of a time and really be detained and scared for my life, but it, it's very similar to your story in Russia, and I relate with that a lot. And just after, you know, just blasting it out there, and you, you took the power back and went to Russia again and competed and wore that rainbow badge. I feel like that's so beautiful. I've yet to do that about Dubai, but you just inspired me. I'm like, should I go back? Like, should I conquer my fear? And I think that that's really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, would you go back though? I, it's conquering your fear, but it's also, it's also giving them something. Like you're giving them something by going there. Like you're making them look, I don't know, LGBT friendly, but are they LGBT friendly? I, yeah, I would have to look at the laws because what I got in trouble for was a male passing or dressing to female. And it's like everything on my passport, all my IDs were changed. Everything was, you know, it was not that. So it, they were really backwards and they were also like twisting it weirdly. And yeah, I agree. It would be giving them something. But also it's like, I don't want a place to have power over me. I feel like that's just my Taurus coming out, my stubbornness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing because... It is like the catch-22 moment. Like, do you go there and, you know, be an, like a, a very vocal LGBT person and try and be like there for the queer community, but at the same time, like going there, giving them something, giving them attention that they just don't deserve is a whole nother. So it is like, it's a really like heavily nuanced subject to try and get right, uh, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Another thing that you both have in common um, just to pivot a little bit, as you both wrote books. Tom, you just released this book. It's called Coming Up for Air. Can you talk a little bit about that? And how was it like writing it? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was always a very like therapeutic experience, to be honest, like going back and kind of I was looking at my diaries that I wrote in like 2008 <laughs> at the Olympics and 12 and 2000 and just being able to see how much I've like matured as a person and as an athlete. And, you know, for me, the running theme throughout the book is how my perspectives have shifted throughout my life of what actually really matters most. And, you know, each chapter within the book is named a different word or something that I've learned, whether it be like perseverance, optimism, courage. And so each chapter is a story of, in my life about how I learned to be courageous or I learned to be optimistic or I learned resilience, all of these different things to, and it was interesting to be able to kind of go back and see my book in that way, rather than just thinking of like telling my story in a, this is what I did. And then I did this. I, I wanted to try and create something where people could read it and be like, Oh, you know what? Like, yes, I'm not a diver, but that kind of applies to something that's happened in my life. And that's an interesting way to overcome it kind of thing. I love that. I love learning and I love like thinking or reading about other people learning. So I absolutely need to read this book. Um, Gigi, what was your, what was the structure of your book like? Would you, I mean, I know what it is, but I would like for you to tell. 
other people. <laughs> you know, I kind of wrote mine like a diary and there definitely are like so many lessons in there. And I would, I, I wrote a lot about diving. Obviously it was a big part of my life. And I think a lot of people, what they don't know about sports, if they're not a huge fan or they've never played sports, is it mimics real life so intensely. Like I relate my work ethic and my just life, like basic skills with diving. I'm always like, oh yeah, like I traveled so much during diving. You know, I learned how to love myself and, and believe really in yourself, put work in. Yes, exactly. And be like, no, like you are, your body is your temple basically. And it's like you, you can achieve all of these things. And I feel like that is like really important to, um, to push, to put out there. And Tom, it sounds like you're like really into like self-reflection and like, are you spiritual at all? Um, I wouldn't necessarily class myself as someone that's massively spiritual, but I do, I am someone that practices a lot of mindfulness and like meditation. And, you know, that's kind of where I found knitting. And that's kind of like my like thing that I am able to like, just switch off from everything. I have my healthy distraction and be able to find my quiet place and happy place within that. And, um, I am, I'm very much a believer of everything happens for a reason and everything falls into place because in back in 2016 at the Olympics, I, we got a bronze medal in the synchro, but in the individual event, I thought it was going to be my time to be an Olympic champion. And I thought that that was, you know, I was in the best physical and mental state to be able to do it. I did extremely well in the prelim and won. And then in the semifinal, I completely bombed out and didn't make it to the final. And it was like one of my lowest moments in my whole sporting career. And it was after that competition that Lance, my now husband, uh, but fiance at the time said to me, Tom, maybe your story doesn't finish here. Maybe you didn't win an Olympic gold medal today because your future child is meant to see you win an Olympic oh, gold medal. Oh, so sweet. And then, I know. And then, you know, five years later, to be able to become an Olympic champion and have my husband and my son be able to, you know, although they couldn't be there because of COVID, but to be able to watch that and to think of the little kid that I was growing up, thinking that I was never going to fit in. I was never going to be able to do what I wanted to do because of who I was. And I already knew I was different. I knew that I wasn't quite the same as all the other boys in the class. And I think that's something that's just, you know, I, I reflect now and I just think, and especially with the book and things like that, I look back and I just, I just feel proud of how much I've, how far I've come from not be, being confident in myself, but then all of the things that have happened in my life, like Gigi was saying about what sport teaches you, like sport teaches you like the discipline. It teaches you time management. It teaches you goal setting and it teaches you social skills as well from having to travel around and meet new people all the time. And I don't know, I've just been very, very, I feel very grateful for everyone that's been in my life and supported me to get to this point. And I, so yeah, I just, I always think, you know, why me? Why, why has it happened to me? Why, but you know, with the people around me and a hard work, you can, you can, achieve anything. And I think as a queer kid, you almost feel like you have to overachieve and you have to go above and beyond to distract from what you're, when you're growing up, what you think is wrong with you. To be allowed you know, to exist. There's nothing wrong with you, but exactly. And you feel like you have to overcompensate in other areas to distract from the fact that people might see you as someone that's slightly different. Can I ask both of you a question? Um, because you both wrote yes. a book. What was the hardest thing you had to write in your book? Um, I would say definitely the chapter about my mom, just because I've never been a person that's been very good with dealing with grief or anything like that. And her passing was just so pinnacle in my 
just development as an adult. And it was really, really hard writing about it. I feel like it's so like, you know, Mm -hmm. normal to say, oh my God, I just wrote a book. It was so cathartic and getting all my feelings out were so crazy, but it really was. And that chapter was so hard. And when I did my audio book, it was like, I was just sobbing and it was just so dramatic, but it felt really good to write it down and really like articulate those words together about how the experience was, how it felt. Um, Tom, what was yours? And are you doing an audiobook? Because your voice is very soothing. I did, I actually did, and I did an audiobook, and I filmed it here in Canada. I filmed it, recorded it here in Canada. So yeah, I, there is an audiobook out as well. So, which is an interesting experience. And I, I must agree, like my the hardest part about my book as well was talking about losing my dad. I lost my dad in 2011. He was like my biggest cheerleader, and. I don't know if it's like a sports people thing with dealing with grief, but I just like did not uh, like, it was like, it just tried to like, it didn't happen. I'm diving, I'm going, I'm focusing on my work. I'm going, 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 going. And it wasn't until I met Lance where he kind of, he like said to me, like, because I would always get, get a little bit like weird about people like touching me or getting too close and being, and I just was so terrified about letting any love in because I didn't want to be hurt in the same way again. And, you know, writing about that was like really challenging for me to kind of see how, uh, how shut off I became emotionally because I didn't want to deal with losing my dad. So then two years later, after meeting Lance and being with Lance for a while, he like, challenged me on it. And he was like, you know, I'm here for you and I'm here to, you have to like, let my love in and you have to, there's, you know, everybody deals with grief in a different way. But like, I stopped talking about my dad. I stopped doing all of the traditions and all of the fun things. And he was like, you know, we should do that. And we should, it's part about making it fun, keeping that lasting memory and all of those things. So that was a, that was a big 180 for me at that time. Yeah. Maybe it is the athlete's way of dealing with loss and grief. I feel like maybe we just feel like we are kind of like these show ponies in a way, like we, you know, aren't human and can't get soft Mm. because weakness is kind of looked down upon in sport. And I, I just felt that way too. I really did. I mean, I literally would be like, Oh, like, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about me. But inside I was like really trying to shut down and really not trying to talk about it because it was so painful. And I feel like that's one thing. It never really, you don't really, grief doesn't shrink over time. You start to grow around your grief. I saw like this meme online of it. It was like very visual with like a jar and like a ball. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but I was like, that is so tea. Like you really do. And it's, it's one of the biggest things having somebody to talk to about. And it sounds like Lance was your person. And it's just, it sometimes it takes somebody just really ripping it out of you for you to get broken down from it all. Yeah. And I think also like you touched on a good point about it being, um, athletes always having to be super strong and super, like you have to keep working harder and harder. You don't stop. You don't, you just, you just keep going, keep going. And actually this is, that was a big thing that I know in this last year for me, I just started to be kinder to myself. Like people, like we always put so much like in everyday life, whether it's sport or whatever, everyone puts so much pressure on themselves to be the best that they can. And some days it just doesn't go right. And I used to really beat myself up about it. And it wasn't until I allowed myself to be kind to myself and be like, you know what? It's okay. Tomorrow will be better. That was when I allowed myself to actually fly in the way that I wanted to within sport. And I think it kind of, that's again, that's a lesson that I learned in sport is something that's taught me in so many different levels, just to be kinder to yourself when things don't go right. Or, you know, because making time for yourself is the best way that you can be effective for everyone else around you as well, to be honest.
I want to know some of your role models, if any, in sport or just in life, because your outlook is like really fierce. Um, Greg Luganus is actually one of my um, biggest heroes within sport in particular. He was he actually has been like a massive part of my diving career in terms of helping me navigate, you know, once I came out and then also navigating diving and getting to the highest level, all those kinds of things. And he also he actually gave me one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had in competitive diving, where he said to me that and especially with the mindful stuff that I, mindfulness stuff that I've been doing, he said to me that fear is just excitement without breathing. And Sometimes you get caught so caught up in being so anxious and afraid you forget to breathe. So taking the time to breathe and like, you know, relax yourself is what can turn that fear into excitement. So um, that's one thing that I think for him, he is like a massive inspiration to me as well with being, uh, you know, he came out after he retired. But still, like for me, growing up, reading his book, he made me feel like, you know what, I do have, you know, I, I do have a place in this sport and I do feel like I can do well. That is, I, you know, you talked about um, transforming fear into excitement. That's also one of my coping mechanisms is transforming um, anxiety into excitement because I think they're the same emotion. You just look at it differently. It feels the same in your body. Um, you also talked about mindfulness, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast. I don't meditate. Gigi doesn't meditate. This is going to sound so bad, but we, but we just don't really understand it. Can you explain to us how you meditate? Like, we would love advice. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so when someone first told me to meditate and my, I just was like, like, come on, like, what, what the hell is that going to do for me? Like, seriously, like sitting down and closing my eyes, like I'll fall asleep. So I started doing it in 2016 and I used to, I found it the most difficult thing that I've ever experienced. And the reason why I started actually doing it was because my husband was like, you know what, let's, let's do it together and we'll do 10 minutes every morning and we'll just make it as part of our routine. And if we're both doing it, we're not feeling like we're missing out on something and we, can, we, just, we just have to give ourselves that 10 minutes and just be done with it. So I start, we started doing that and for the first, you know, maybe two weeks, I just, could, I just couldn't actually switch off. I was still thinking about loads of things and I found it extremely difficult to follow the, like I was doing like guided mindfulness like on, through an app and... It wasn't until I started, um, I was about after about four weeks, I started to be able to get above the noise. And I think there's this big analogy within or like visualization within um, the tape that I was doing that, you know, there's so much traffic within, you know, in our minds, like constantly racing, constantly racing. And you, what, you don't want to get rid of that traffic, but you sometimes just want to be able to get above the clouds so that you don't, so you can get, avoid that traffic for just a moment. And for me, that was just like a, a great analogy for me to be able to just focus on my breathing, focus on my breath. And you kind of get to a point after a while that you feel like you are, I just react differently to so many different things in my life. I have much more patience. I have much more tolerance. I have much more of a open mind to things. And I don't know, like I, I, I see things from a different perspective and from a calmer point of view. I can't do that without medication. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like me meditation is like medication. I'm telling is you. It? <laughs> I've never heard it like that. I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Like maybe I can stop medication. I always thought that the whole like goal of meditating was literally like to think about absolutely nothing and just mm -hmm. slow your breathing down. Which is so hard, especially for us, Gigi. Like, we are go, go, go bitches. I like, know. If we have downtime, we're, like, going to pick up a new job or something. I can literally think about nothing for, like, 10 seconds max. And then it's, like, on to the next thing. 
Mm-hmm. It's like a really important skill because then you can use it in so many. It's like I like to think it of it as like when I meditate, I, it gives me so much more of a different outlook on the day in terms of how I interact I with、that. people. And like the guided ones are like you know can help you with. Gratitude, and it can. There's some things like about you know recovering your body, or things about there's all kinds of different like ways to be able to do it. And the guided, well, like, I couldn't do it sitting on my own. The guided mindfulness is, just allows you to. I like to think of it as like going to the bank. Like you do your meditation in the morning, and that gives you like the fuel and the you know what you need in order to be able to give yourself the best shot at. Tackling a busy day. That's a very good way to think of it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, like putting it in your routine. I I like that. Doing the, just ten minutes a day does not sound like a lot. Literally, that's like eating breakfast takes ten minutes.、Um, when you like, or do you guys like hold hands and listen? Like, is it giving very like now breathe in, now breathe out? It's like it, there are there are certain parts of it that are a little bit like. Well, I mean, the thing is now with Robbie, like obviously he wakes up at all kinds of different hours of the day, like day morning or whatever. So、um, we aren't necessarily at set at the same time, and we can't really do it at the same time anymore because of you know Robbie waking up, and there always has to be someone around for Robbie. So for me, it was about now we just have to like figure out what、um, what's the best way to.、Um, Like fitting it around our schedule, but it's just important that I, we always make time for it. And you know, lots of people are extremely busy. And I, I essentially, I just started setting my alarm 15 minutes earlier and just got up and factored it into my day and just realized that it allowed me to be so much more productive throughout the day. So, okay,、yeah. work. I'm gonna actually start. I'm gonna do it tomorrow morning. Everybody listening, please follow up with us because we're okay, gonna do yeah, it. Okay, yeah, please, please. I'm so down. Guided sounds a lot easier than doing it on your own because if I'm left to my own devices, I'll be making a shopping list in my exactly、house. Amazon list. <laughs> Literally, I used to, I used to be like that. I used to be like that, and it took me like one of those things. It's like oh, you have to like to create a new habit. You have to do it for three weeks. It's like one of the rules. Totally, I don't know、yep. who created that rule, but it's like. So, like, if you stick with it for that amount of time, I think it's a、uh, also it gives you like little stickers every time you do like a day in a row. Oh,、like. there's a point system. I'm in. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for joining us. I am definitely going to try that. Will you stick around with us and answer some fan questions, some queries? Absolutely, of course. Awesome. We'll be right back with Tom Daly. Welcome back. We are here with none other than Tom Daly, and of course, we are going to jump into your queries. This is our ritual for the podcast. Every single time at the end,、um, if you do not know, we have a hotline you can call at one eight four four queries. That's Q U E E R Y S, and ask us anything. I know you already have a question brewing in your brain, so just get over it, call, leave it, and let's talk. Are we ready to get over、in? it on call? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, first caller. Here we go. Hi, Gigi and Mimi. So, okay, let me fan person for a second. Gigi, I absolutely adore you. Mimi, you're fabulous, and I'm so lucky that I get to learn about you.、Um, so, my question is. By the way,、uh, my name is Lynn, and I'm from New York.、Um, any advice for someone who? Is non-binary who doesn't feel trans enough to identify as a trans person.、Um, yeah, that's it. Okay, I love you guys. Bye. 
Lynn, thank you for that query. That is a heavy question. Um, it's if I, I I'll answer first. I think it's really important to first know yourself and know what's happening within you before labeling or trying to find a label that fits you right now. It sounds like Lynn that you're not 100% sure yet, which is totally fine. Like we all go through that um, straight or queer people try to find out who they are and it's not easy, but I think for now, just let it be, try to live your best life and see what feels good. And then, you know, maybe in a year and two years, you'll find a label for yourself. What do you think, Gigi? I I already feel like you're doing great. Like, just be Mm -hmm. easy on yourself. Like Tom said earlier, there really is no rush. And you already identifying as non-binary, I feel like is so fabulous. Like, don't discount that because you already, you know, found that within yourself. And, you know, there's no pressure. I mean, being trans doesn't make you better than being non-binary. So why the rush? Maybe, Maybe you already found who you are, you know? Just go easy on yourself and congrats. And also thanks for your question. Thanks for what you said. That's so sweet. Uh-huh. Lynn from New York. Tom, what do you think? I, I, I mean, I'm echoing for what you both said, honestly. Just being able to have, I, I think, like you say, people rush into trying to figure out a label for themselves within the LGBT community and, you know, figuring out, so many different and then also with the gender spectrum it's like you say you, there's no rush you you're you and you know what you are is so different to what the next person next to you is and even if somebody else next to you might describe like define themselves or you know be able to say that they're non-binary then but what they consider to be non-binary is different to what you consider to be non-binary and there's just so many Again, like you say, don't rush into a label. Just be you. And that's where I think the queer, you know, the name queer and the word queer is so great because to me, queer just means I am who I am and it's none of anyone else's business about, like, I don't have to give a label to anyone. And I think just being part of the queer community is really special like that. Mm -hmm. Lynn, even if you don't have um, a label, we won't leave you behind, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Second caller, here we go. Hey, Gigi, it's your boy, Nick, from Miramar Beach, Florida. Just want to say, hey, girl, love you. And my question is, if you could literally make your own kind of food, what would it be? Like, any type of ingredients, anything, let me know. Okay, Nick. Um, good question. Gigi, do you want to go first? If you could make any type of food. You've been cooking a lot lately, right? Have I? I mean, you've been posting like you have. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Social media oh, yeah. versus reality. Oh, yeah, I have. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm so bad with the way that I eat. So anything like just really, really delicious, like pasta. You know what? Actually, Nick. My boy Nick, I also loved that voicemail. That was so cute. Um, I, I would, ma- I would love to make like a pizza from scratch. That'd be really fun. Ooh, okay. <laughs> easier than you think. Easier than you think to do as well. Like it's actually not as challenging. You can make really quick and easy pizza dough bases with like Greek yogurt and flour and like a little bit of olive oil. Okay, that's my new goal. You'll see that on my Instagram coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> making <laughs> to a, a pizza. story near you. Yeah. <laughs> Mine, if I could like make my food, this is a dessert, but I love pie, like a really good apple pie or a peach pie with a really good crust. That's what my food would be. I I ate a whole, (laughs) 
I ate a whole pie in like a week, two weeks ago by myself. It's so awful. <laughs> we love that. Love that. I know this sounds really random, but it just came to my head. I'd love to make enough ramen noodles that I could knit a sweater out of ramen noodles and then eat it. <laughs> 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 I know that's really graphic. Can you imagine wearing a ramen noodle sweater and then just deciding I'm hungry and just eating it? Anyway, I know that's really random. When you say knitting, I think of like a scarf, but I've seen the, the stuff you knit. It's like full on designs. Like it's like couture. You knit couture. I try and make it a little bit, you know, spicy rather than just making it like, you know. <laughs> and that little like that little pouch you made for your metal. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I was like, they didn't give us a case. And I was like, I don't want to scratch it. I'm going to protect it myself. Yeah. I, I mean, I literally, it was so good. It looks so comfy. I just want to like take a nap in one of your sweaters. <laughs> like casually, like, uh, can you make me one? You should start an, you should start an Etsy. <laughs> You'd kill it. Yeah. You'd be so yeah. busy. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it takes a long time to make a sweater, but you know, watch this space. There might be something coming down the line soon. So. Oh, hello. Love that. Okay. Our third call. Hi, Gigi and Mimi. My name is Brett. You may know me. I live in Los Angeles, and my question for the two of you is, what is your favorite Disney moment? Not Disney movie, favorite Disney moment from any Disney movie. Because I know mine is from The Little Mermaid, <clears throat> when she rushes up to the surface and flip her hair, flips her hair. So, what's your favorite Disney moment? Love you both. Bye. Okay, wait. Brett Collins from Los Angeles. Love you. First of all, it's called Part of Your World Reprise. It has Dad. a name. <laughs> Pull it together, please. Dad. <laughs> and you can't pick that one because that's just everybody's. I think that's everybody's too. Yeah, I think she, she needed to think a little harder. Well, okay. I have a few because there are, there are a lot. Um, first one, when Pocahontas jumps off the cliff into the waterfall. I love that moment. Um, Lion King, can you feel the love tonight when they're like rolling down and there's butterflies and there's more, but what, do, what, what do you, what can you think of Gigi? Uh, mine is also from the little mermaid. Mm -hmm. I think that's why she coughed on the call. Cause I think she knew I would say that. <laughs> um, I, I really love the part in the little mermaid where, well, I have two favorite parts, um, where she's, Oh God, it's obviously not my favorite part. I don't even know the song where she's like, look at this stuff. Part of your tonight. world. Part of your world. Yes. Okay. Duh. That. But more so when she gets her voice taken away, I just feel like it's so epic and so gorge. I, speaking of The Little Mermaid, they're making a live action. I feel like I mention it like once, like literally every podcast. I'm so excited because I just really hope they turn it out. Oh, they will. They will. Um, uh, Tom, what, do, what, are, what are your favorite? Do you even like Disney, Tom? See, I, I mean, I... I like Disney and I watched a lot of Disney films growing up as a kid, but like to think of like a one moment that is like one of my favorite, like, I don't know why, but like the one thing that's like coming to my head right now, and that's probably because we watched it the other day with Robbie was the moment when Elsa transforms and like gets into like her like blue dress and her hair comes down and it's just like, you know, but that's like really, I feel like that's, it's iconic, but like it's, I feel like I should have chosen like an old school Disney film, like not, 
new school, you know? Was it? I mean, me and my brothers, literally Disney movies, like VHS, or like in theater, rather, were all of our favorite movies. Like Lion King, Little Mermaid, and Hercules were all of our first movies. So, like, we grew up on that. Do you have a favorite if you were to pick? Why do I feel like you're going to say Hercules or something? No, no, no. I used to love, I used to love Emperor's New Groove. Oh, I love that one. That one's kind yeah. of like a, a, a low-key one, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a low-key one. Yeah. It is. And, um, and then I always remember, you know, for me, of the earliest Disney memory I have is watching Bambi and, like, just remember, like, the first uh-uh, time. Too I, sad. But, but also... Well, Disney films, why Why does somebody always die in a Disney film? Always. Like, and either, always a either parent. Either a mom or a dad. The, yeah, either a mom or a dad has to die. Parents always, one of the parents is always gone or one of them always dies. It's so fucked. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's to raise the stakes. Yeah, but still, like, the poor, like, thinking about it, like, our kids, like, growing up, like, it's, you know, it really, like, especially Bambi, like, that one was particularly, like... That one was insane. Looking back, though, I never really thought of it as death. I just was kind of, like, distracted. Like, I wasn't like, oh, my God, that's sad. I was, like, more focused on, like, the hairography of all the princesses. (laughs) 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 There I am, disassociating as a child. (laughs) Okay, we have one more query. Okay, here we go. Thanks, Brett. Hi, Gigi. Hi, Mimi. I just wanted to quickly say I love you both so much. Gigi, I've been following you since your start on YouTube, and you're such an inspiration to me, but you're both just icons. Um, I am a bisexual woman who is engaged to be married to a straight cisgender man. When I came up to my mom in high school, it went so poorly that I decided to keep my sexual orientation a secret from the rest of my family and only openly date men. My friends and my partner all know that I'm bisexual, and I felt like, you know, in a way, I'm lucky enough to be able to pass as straight and avoid making my life harder by pursuing relationships with women, and that's what I decided to do. Um, It was really hard sometimes because there's been plenty of girls that I've been interested in, but I just avoided the issue altogether. Now that I'm getting married, um, part of me is kind of grieving this piece of myself that feels as though it's being erased. I love my fiancé, and I'm so excited to spend the rest of my life with him, but I feel like I never got to really live my life in that authentic way. And I'm at a point now where I don't need validation from anyone. I'm very open. It's just not something that I talk about with my family. I guess like my question is, is there a way that I can celebrate my bisexuality while also being in my committed relationship with a man? Thank you so much. And I look forward to hopefully hearing your response. Much love from Kat. Cat, wow, that's a great question. That one's um, a stunning one. I think we need to pass this one off to Tom. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, this is this is a difficult one um, because you know, obviously, you don't want to suppress who you are, but at the same time, when you get married, you marry that one person. Um, you know, but like you said, every relationship is different, and every relationship might have different boundaries, and every relationship might have different rules about what is okay, what's not okay. And, you know, you might be able to find something that works for, for you. And I think the most important thing within any, any relationship is being open and honest, like and being really honest with each other and having the open line of communication constantly that you don't feel like you have to suppress any of your feelings, but you just 
when you feel something, you say it. And I think being able to have that level of honesty is what's going to create a really, really strong relationship foundation. And, but you, like you say, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a really, it's a really difficult question to answer, honestly. It is. I feel like almost like if I was putting myself in her shoes, I would hope that I wouldn't feel any kind of resentment towards him, my family for how they treated me, or even harbor a shit ton of guilt for not really taking the initiative and living my life when I wasn't about to go marry somebody. I feel like this is something that she needs to express. This is a horrible, this is horrible advice, but like she, she's calling and asking this is, she's probably thought about this for so long. It's like, you know, she's, she is bi and she feels like she missed out on a part of her life. That's a horrible feeling. So I would say the communication needs to be key with your man because you're going to just hold that in and it's going to come out in other ways. That's what I'm scared of. That's it's the resentment and the guilt, you know, and if it's something that maybe you express, communicate, and then maybe it's not that deep after a while, you know, at least you you tried and put it out there. Mark, what would you say? Did you take it as she wanted to have sex with girls? Yeah, or just tried to. I mean, she said, how do I express my, you know, bisexuality? It's like I was thinking go to a go to a (laughs) A gay club. club. Yeah. Yeah, But is that really expressing it? You know, I just thought like, okay, first of all, number one, just because you will marry a man does not mean you become straight. You're still bisexual. Definitely. Um, That's still within yourself. And, you know, if you can marry a man and then never have sex with a woman, and that's okay as well. That's totally fine. I feel like if that's, you know, if you really love this man and you want a monogamous relationship, then yeah, maybe you should grieve that loss of that life. Um, I think I said this before in an earlier podcast, but one of the hardest things um, that, you know, that I went through when I was young is that I would hold on to things. And now I know that you can let things go and things can close and a new chapter will open. And I think that's just where you're at. Like, you can let this go and it will be okay because there there is other things. You're more than just a bisexual girl. Um, you know, you love this man. You're, maybe you'll have a family and that will be a really beautiful life for you. And, you know, I feel like, I mean, I'll finish it with this. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Um, the grass is greener where you water it. So water it. Now that's my advice. Thank you so much, Kat, for that call. And that brings us to the end. Tom, thank you for coming on Queerified. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you so much. And also, last note to Kat, we might need a follow-up. Mm-hmm. On yes. another episode. Yeah, so please yeah, call exactly. us back because n- now I'm invested heavily. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. You have been everything. Um, and yeah, let us know where people can find you, where they could find your book, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. I mean, I'm just on Instagram, Tom Daly. And if you want my knitting Instagram, I'm made with love by Tom Daly. So yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of Instagram accounts, you know, multi-accountual. Obviously. I'm sure I'm sure there's, yeah. there's a Finsta in there somewhere, but obviously we're not going to give that out. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, thank you so much, Tom. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks to our very special guest, the Tom Daly, and thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at GTGorgeous and at Mark Maverick. 
And as always, Queerified is a presentation of Ramble, a Cadence 13 studio. Please listen, rate, review. Those help us so much and follow all episodes. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and wherever you get your podcasts. Love you. Bye. Bye.